Welcome to Failed Architecture Breeze Blocks, where our editors share their thoughts on works in progress, urgent matters, and current happenings in architecture and spatial politics. My name is Joshua McWhorter. This is the second installment of a conversation with my two fellow New York City-based editors, Michael Nicholas and Kevin Rogan, about so-called traditional architecture, or TradArc for short. Where the first part of our discussion focused largely on a critique of the intellectual undercurrents of the TradArc movement, here we delve a bit more into how the Trad impulse folds back onto the real world, from historic preservation projects to former U.S. President Donald Trump's infamous executive order mandating a classical design aesthetic for government buildings. Enjoy. So it's interesting, like in the Trump executive order, like some of the stuff that they, I mean, again, it falls into this trap of being like this kind of nebulous, undefinable, like kind of good design practice that is like these kind of just amalgamation of different, like kind of traditional, beautiful architecture styles. And interestingly, like two of the examples that they show of like actually good architecture being built in federal buildings now is like the Tuscaloosa courthouse and the Corpus Christi federal courthouse, which I mean, are purely just pastiche. Like they're not, it falls, it's totally like what Kevin was talking about where um, you're saying that it's just a facade change like to some of the other buildings because like modern courthouses are pretty standard. So like the facade of the building really doesn't matter to the actual function of it. Yeah, I, I mentioned earlier also the notion of utility as sort of one of the big callings of an architect to to aid and enable in the, utility of any given structure, which is not just about the arrangement of rooms, but also like to communicate various subtextual and cultural things, whatever. Um, and I mean, all in all the courthouse design today is going to communicate is like uh, proper crowd control and how to get everybody through a metal detector. Like that's, <laughs> it, it's not about like the sanctity of the, the law as a function of the nation or anything like that. It's about right getting you into your your discreet little courtroom and getting you through a weapons check and shit like that. And that's it. Like, that is the whole utility. And, like, that, you know, it, so I think maybe that is also part of being about tradding the trads. Is like, I, I don't think an architect today knows how to communicate something like that in accordance with, like, a sort of a universal. And maybe the problem is, is that universals are mostly gone. Um, or destroyed by the cultural Marxism and postmodernism and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, even if they were to exist, it, it's well out of architecture's hands. Um, it, it's long gone. It's been gone for centuries. And I, I think part of what the executive order is about is kind of a recognition on the part of, of the federal government. So, in the executive order, they reference the guiding principles for executive architecture from in the 20th century, which basically say like every, and they mention it as a big bugbear. So it's like, you know, they fucked it all up. Like they made the architects sort of like the ones that were kind of dictating the show um, and, you know, charged the government to go for contemporary uh, architects building in their own particular style. Um, Obviously, no real mention of modernism or anything like that. But I think what is interesting, and this is kind of like what um, I'm going to get into my being devil's advocate here for the executive order, because I think it's actually good um, in the sense that it further debases and deprives architects of their sort of privileged position atop the mountaintop of aesthetics. 
Um, and the reason is, is that it situates the government as the full-on de facto number one client for the architect. It reinstates a proper client relationship between the architect and the government, which is functioning essentially as a corporation at this stage, um, and places the architect as subservient to the government, which is exactly how practice works. It, it's not a good thing. I don't, I didn't particularly enjoy it when I worked in architecture, but it is how it worked. And I think a large part of what pisses architects off is that fact precisely that they have had something taken away from them. They have become once again, subservient to a client. And in order to argue against the executive order in those terms, an architect should really, would really have to argue against the sort of client like setup that currently prevails within the discipline. And nobody's going to do that because if you start arguing against clients, then you're not going to fucking have any. So, I mean, it's a kind of a master, like not to be like a Trump is a 5G or five fifth dimensional chess guy. He is a 5G guy, but he's not a fifth dimensional (laughs) chess guy, but it, it is kind of, it is kind of perfect because there, there's absolutely no way out. And, and it also kind of collapses back onto this, the people that are sort of the proponents of a traditional architecture and a traditional executive order because it is a modernizing order. It, it, it modernizes the discipline. It makes it fall in line with the way it works everywhere else. And so in that sense, like it is thoroughly modern in terms of reinstating the design pipeline that exists everywhere else, in essence, in form, and all this is is form, as we've discussed, all, all traditionalism is form, it looks reactionary. And to, and to an extent, it, you know, it is. But insofar as it actually affects anything in particular as far as the discipline is concerned, it's just, once again, architects being pissed that they got kicked further down off the mountain. Well, the original intent of the L'Enfant, like... 1902 Macmillan plan was actually to make DC 5G proof and all of the modern architecture since then is more uh, susceptible to 5G rays so we have to go back to like thick marble walls to protect government employees true very true actually yeah again the stonemasons stay undefeated because if they were allowed to uh, you know create a, a building actually truly out of stone no way 5G waves are getting through that (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right. Should we reopen the queries? Yeah, I agree. Oh, I mean, on a serious note, like, it is interesting, though, because, like, the Longfong plan, which is referenced in the executive order as, like, an example of good design, I mean, is, like, quintessential, like, early modernism. It's, like, right out of, like, the housemen, like, everything, like, it's completely antithetical to, like, the kind of lofty principles that are espoused by it. Like, DC is, like a modernist city in like it's planning. And I mean, like superficially with like the facades of these like columns and like Thomas Jefferson and Washington design buildings or whatever. But I mean, it's a, it's a modern city. I did want to say one more thing about the, um, the, the executive order though. And here we actually get really close to a definition of classical architecture, but it's so funny and just all over the place. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Um, this is from 
I believe, yeah, section three, paragraph C. Um, classical architecture means the architectural tradition derived from the forms, principles, and vocabulary of the architecture of Greek and Roman antiquity and is later developed and expanded upon by such Renaissance architects as Alberti, Brunelleschi, Michelangelo, Palladio, Enlightenment masters, Robert Adam, John Sohn, Christopher Wren, 19th century architects, blah, 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 20th century practitioners, blah, blah, blah. And then such styles as neoclassical. So classical architecture encompasses such styles such as neoclassical. Um, uh, Georgian, federal, Greek revival. Again, Greek, Greco-Roman architecture encompasses Greek revival. Bow arts and art deco, which a ton of people have laughed about. Um, it's interesting that you, that, um, art deco is also included in the executive order as an example of, uh, neoclassicism or whatever, because kind of the foundational movement of the modern preservationist movement was around a bow arts building in New York City, which was the original Penn Station, which again, like by any measure is like a modern building. Like it's, it's, it's modeled on like the kind of great trade halls of Europe and well no I mean it, it is perfect because it, it does show like I I just hearing you say that I'm wondering like you know if I were to build like a, a sort of let's say a, a Tesla like charging station but put like a you know glass roof with like cast iron beams above it would that be like you know would the would the trads love it because it because, and again, it, it's pure aesthetics. It's form divorced from content. And, you know, this is evident in the Berlin Palace thing. This is evident in basically all the discussion of their actual aesthetic intentions. It doesn't matter what is inside it. You know, it could be a cultural Marxism factory. As long as, it, as, long as it has, like, a clock on the front and, like, some, you know, karyatids or something, they're, they're down with it. Yeah. Well, and there was, like, this kind of, like, speaks to the kind of um the, like the slippery ideological uh framing of all these things friend of the pod antonio pacheco posted this awesome picture of philip johnson and uh jane jacobs like protesting together outside of like the old penn station like asking for it to be saved and it's like it doesn't really matter what it looks like they just want like things not to be built or whatever yeah that that picture is really indicative and people I'm sure that, you know, sort of, in, you know, they love defending Jane Jacobs pretty much generally. She, she is still sort of like St. St. Jane, whatever. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, you're totally re- right. I, I and maybe that is the most kind of the, the reactionary core at the heart of all this, which is like, beyond progress having lost its way or something like that over and above everything it's an adherence to a status quo which may or may not have ever actually existed um in the case of penn station it did but at the end of the day that that that's really immaterial and it's you know jacobs yeah you're you're totally right jacobs doesn't particularly want Penn Station to say so much she doesn't want anything to change. Philip Johnson, I'm not even going to touch because if you're if you're still alive, I'd hit him with a car. So I I hate that guy. But anyway, well, kind of on that note too, it's funny because like um, in the like School of Life article and like a lot of other people have talked about this too, where they make the kind of left progressive 
quote unquote argument about how like modernism is just the the aesthetic of like copy paste developer building like it's completely soulless it's just like kind of pure capitalism where they don't care about the aesthetic or like uh human ingenuity or like just the experience of being in a city it's just pure function like copy paste put it anywhere but like if you think about it like mckee mead and white like the architect firm that built Penn Station was exactly that. Like they just built these copy paste Beaux Arts buildings all over the country. And like they had just like a huge firm and like whatever associates were just putting this stuff together. And maybe like Penn Station was like an exceptional example of it, but I don't know. It's exactly what they're like saying modernism is. Right. Our architecture for over a century now has been at least at this scale of the Kinley and White like scale of like a large firm has been more than anything principally concerned with forcing down labor costs as in order to basically ascertain the largest amount of profit from a, a payment from the client. That's all it is. I mean, like, you know, the fact that like the particular categories and methods by which they have, you know, sought to minimize labor and like, you know, basically make it shuffle off the stage has changed. But at the end of the day, it's not really about cookie cutter stuff, but that is a, a, you know, significant sort of indicator of how it works. Because like, if you have, let's say, to use the Penn Station example, you know, let's just say you have a labor force that knows how to, you know, do cast iron, knows how to do, X and Y and Z, great. You just have them do the exact same thing over and over and over. Um, keeps costs low, keeps like economies of scale high, good. The fact of the matter is, is just that I mean, it, it resides in pure materialism because like instead of stone and iron and steel, it's now ephus and um, like, you know, shitty aluminum panels and stuff like that. These are, it, it's, it's purely a surface level change. It, the same exact machinery is right there underneath the surface, but that is more or less anathema to um, architectural discourse, which assumes the top little algae layer on the lake is actually the entire lake.